with uh, a fascinating question, or what I think is a fascinating question. And uh, that question is, is simply this. What comes to your mind, or what should come to your mind, when you think uh, or you hear the word Christian? Uh, if, if you're a Christian, you're going to have a different answer. If you're not a Christian and you're here, uh, I want to say thank you so much for being here. This morning is going to be a little fun for you because you get to answer this question in a different way. But if you're not here and you're a Christian, you need to know we created this place for you. Uh, if you're online and this is your first time, you're not a Christian, you just kind of found yourself here, you're really not sure you buy into what uh, Christians believe and what they do on the weekends, but, but you're, you're, you know, you're kind of exploring a little bit. If that's you, I, I have a, the same question for you, but I want to word it a little differently. <clears throat> what comes to your mind, or, or what does come to your mind, rather, when you hear the word Christian? So if you're a Christian, what should come to mind when you hear the word Christian? And, and if you're not a Christian, what does come to mind when you hear the word Christian? My, my guess is it, it's not, or perhaps it, it's not something we, we all tend to agree on. There are things that, that should come to mind, and that's kind of what we talked about last week. We, we talked about uh, uh, this word here, and we don't think about this often when we think about Christian, but we talked about fearless, right? right? That, that there's something about being a Christ follower, about following Jesus, that, that our Savior was, was absolutely fearless. He didn't fear, and it, it kind of set him apart from every other world leader or religious leader. And, and when we think a, about Christians, when we think about Christianity, often that doesn't come to mind, does it? And it kind of raises the question as to why. Well, we hit this last week, and, and I, I, I kind of love this thought that Jesus is at the epicenter of our faith, who's, who's absolutely fearless. He, he let us know that this might happen. That, that uncertainty might come, right? Uncertainty is unavoidable. Uncertainty is, is, as a matter of fact, it's the only thing in life that's certain, is that uncertainty will come. Uncertainty is unavoidable, but fearful is optional. Fear might come, and yes, there's going to be things in life that we need to be, that, or, or that are going to, to raise up fear, but us reacting fearfully, that's an option. And that's something that, that used to set Christians apart, that, that, that in early generations, in the first generation, that, that when, when people thought of Christians, they thought of people who were, were fearless. They thought of people who, who didn't fear death, who didn't fear illness, who, who didn't fear lo loss. And it, it started to change the culture, started to change the world. Because when you don't fear losing something, you become selfless. When you don't fear losing something, you can become generous. When you don't fear losing something, you can become compassionate. Because if, if there's no fear of loss... If there's no fear of death, if there's no, no fear of, of losing what we have, then we can be some of the most extraordinarily generous, selfless, fearless people in the world. Another word we talked about last week, and this doesn't always come to mind when we think about, about what, it, what comes to our mind when we think of the word Christian, but it's, it's, it's this word, it's, it's confident. And not confident in an arrogant way, and not in a prideful way, but confident in kind of this, this uh, trusting way, in this humble way. That there's this, this absolute confidence in, in perhaps who is at the epicenter of our faith. In Jesus and what Jesus did. That, that following Jesus, that becoming a Christian, and we've talked about this, a Christian is just somebody who follows after Christ. It's somebody who's Christ-like. So, so if we are to be followers of Jesus and be Christ-like, th then perhaps we should look more like Jesus. Who, as we talked about last week, did not look anything like this. Because your Savior wasn't fragile. Jesus wasn't fragile. Jesus was fearless. Jesus faced death head on. And, and what's so interesting about Jesus and about how he, he approached this, when, when he was arrested and, and wrongly tried and crucified, they didn't find him running for the hills. They didn't find him trying to escape across the Mediterranean. They didn't find him hiding out in the woods with his group of merry men. No, he walked right into Jerusalem. 
right down Main Street and face death and flogging on your behalf. Jesus wasn't fragile. Jesus was fearless. Which then raises another question, and here's where I want to go this morning. What's wrong with us? Really, what's, what's wrong with us? Or maybe here's the better question. What went wrong with us? Why is it that when you think of of first century Christians, of the first century authors who who wrote the Bible and and penned down these amazing stories, why is it that that when we think of Christian, fearless doesn't come to mind and confident doesn't come to mind and and boldness and generous? and, And why is it that these things don't come to mind anymore? What happened to us? What went wrong over the course of time? You see, at some point, Christians were irresistible. Christianity was irresistible. There was something about it that was absolutely irresistible. As a matter of fact, it's the only reason it survived the first century. It's the only reason it survived all the persecution. You had had the persecution of Rome on one side and the persecution of the temple on the other, and they met and clashed right in the middle on Christianity, yet it survived because there was something irresistible. Being Christ-like, being like Jesus, was irresistible to the first century. You've heard us say this before. There was something unique about Jesus, right? He loved people who weren't anything like him. And people who were nothing like him loved him. There was something uniquely irresistible at Christianity that caused it to to thrive, that caused it to excel, that caused it to change the world. Why not today? Why is it that when people think of Christians, they think of something completely different? When people hear Christians, I mean, the, the truth is, they'll think a dozen things, right? They'll think of a ton of things. But rarely would they describe us as fearless what happened to the fearless ones? What happened to the confident ones? We lost our reputation as the fearless ones. And, and when I think of this, when I look at the world and I, and I think of what's happening in our world and, and in our government and, and, and in our economy, I, I just I think to myself, wait, we're freaking out over what? We're freaking out over, over politics and, you know, we live in the United States of America and we're freaking out over the president and, and the economy and the policies and, and, and the reaction to COVID-19 and, and all of this is kind of bubbling up to the surface. And I think to myself, what went wrong? That was never the concern of first century Christians. That was never the concern of Jesus. What happened to us? We live in an amazing place with religious freedom. We live in an amazing place where we're, we're able to practice and be a part of, of, of government and policy and all those things. Don't, don't misunderstand me this morning. Those things are important and they have their place. But they should never be the most important. Our Savior marched to his death. Face death in the face. And in the 21st century, we're hiding in fear because of the policies that are written and the status of our economy, and how churches have reacted to COVID. And I think, man, like I said last week, I thought we were made of something more. What happened? I wonder what Jesus thinks when he hears our prayers and he sees our reaction. I wonder if he keeps saying, wait, wait, you're worried about what? Do you remember what I did for you? And then I think that, and I think, how embarrassing for us. As, as if that's not embarrassing enough, where we're going to go this morning is going to, to take this feeling, and if you're not liking it, you're not going to like where we're going, but stick with me to the end. It, it'll get better. It's going to take this feeling even further. We're going to look at one of the most famous passages of Scripture. It's uh, Hebrews chapter 11, as a matter of fact. If you want to know where we're going, Hebrews chapter 11, you can dive in there. But <clears throat> I, I, want, I don't often tell you about how I pray for messages, but this morning, last night as I was praying about this, it, this, 
this thought kind of hit me. What we're about to hit this morning, the, the text in, in the scripture is so, it, it's so great and it's so emotional and it's so kind of down to earth and, and gritty. It doesn't need my help at all. The, the, I, I should just let you, let you read the text and we'll pack our stuff and, stuff and go home. It doesn't need anything from me. It's that, it's that powerful. And if I were to really kind of explore and mine all of this for you, I, I couldn't do it justice in the amount of time we have this morning. But my hope is to kind of set it for you, to, 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 to kind of give you a, a broad stroke of what the author is trying to communicate here. And by the way, we don't know who this author is. No one knows who wrote Hebrews. We're not sure it was in the first century. It could have been a man. It could have been a woman. We're not really sure. This morning, I don't refer to him as he, but we don't know who it was. But we do know that this author is communicating to a group of Jewish Christians who somewhere along the way began to kind of wonder. They, they, they began to kind of ask themselves, is, is this working? Is it worth it? And is it working? That's what they were wondering. Is following Jesus worth it? Is following Jesus, in the, in, you know, despite the fact that I might lose my job, my family might hate me, my, my kids are being mistreated. Is following Jesus worth it? And is it working? Maybe you've asked yourself the same question. Maybe in light of everything that's going on, you've asked yourself similar questions. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to, to, to come to a conclusion that by the end of reading th this chapter and a few extra verses, that we would conclude, not only is it working, is it worth it, but it is absolutely wor working. You see, 2,000 years ago, they wanted the same thing. 2,000 years ago, they could, it, they could still sit and talk with eyewitnesses who saw Jesus before he died, watched his crucifixion, and saw him afterwards. This is just 40, 50, 60, maybe 70 years at most after the crucifixion of Jesus. These people walked with Jesus and talked. They, they saw him die. They saw him come back to life. They saw what was beginning to stir, and they find themselves asking the same question we find ourselves asking. Is it worth it? Is it working? We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and, and in particular this first verse is misused often and I, I don't say this in an arrogant way but my hope this morning is to kind of put this in, in the right view for you because so many preachers have misused this and pulled it out of context but I, I don't think it's, it's ever been communicated at least that I've heard the way I think it should be communicated and that's not in a, a prideful arrogant way I think we just pull the first part of the verse out of context and don't look at the second half and that's what we're going to do this morning Hebrews <coughs> chapter 11 verse 1 starts off this way now, if you grew up in church, I'm sure you've heard this before. Faith. Faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. That's what faith is. And faith, this is the, the biblical definition of faith. But it, as a matter of fact, this is also the, the, the basic general definition of faith. This is what the writer is communicating. It's, it's living as if somebody who made a promise to you is going to keep it. And we do that all the time. If you don't believe me, here's a quick example. <clears throat> if you work at a job, if you were hired at a job and got a paycheck, you live by faith. At some point you were interviewed, at some point you sat down and they said, we want you to do some work. Here's the work we want you to do. And at the end of two weeks, we're going to give you a paycheck. Here's you know, what your hourly pay is going to be or your salary is going to be. At the end of two weeks or a week, you're going to get a paycheck. And, and you just showed up the next day and you started working. And you worked for the, the set period of time. And at the end, you, you had faith, you believed that they were going to come through for their promise and you were going to get a paycheck. The author of Hebrews says that's what faith is. You lived and you worked and you functioned as if somebody who made a promise to you was going to keep that promise to you. That's what faith is. He said, that's the same thing we need, that, the kind of faith we have in Jesus. But, but then the second part of this verse, this is the part that, that we're going to do a deep dive into that most people tend to skip over. And I think this is where the richness of where he's going with the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 lies. 
Faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what the ancients, and when he talks about the ancients, he's, if he takes a huge part of this chapter now and he dives into the Old Testament. If you grew up in church or going to, to Sunday school or you read Bible stories to your kids, these are the stories that we read to our kids, right? The, the famous people, the famous men and women of the Old Testament, people like, like Moses and Moses' mom and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these, these ancients, these people who lived, who walked by faith. They walked as if God made a promise and God was going to complete that promise, that God was going to do what he had promised to do. He says this is the kind of faith that these, these ancients, these 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 Old Testament people lived by. And then he goes on a little later in the chapter. He says, all these people, all of these, these Old Testament characters, these, these ancient people who'd, who had lived by this extraordinary faith, were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things they promised. That is, they lived as if God was going to fulfill the promise that God was going to fulfill. They walked it out. They trusted God, but they never saw the promise complete. They only saw it and welcomed it from a distance. And that's hard. Because in our world, that's not how, how we want to live at all, is it? I'm praying on Monday for a job. I prayed on Monday for a girlfriend. And it's Thursday. God, where are you? Friday, God still hasn't shown up. Like, well, I don't know if I can trust this God. I mean, I prayed and I asked for a girlfriend. I asked for a job. Nothing happened. I, I gave God, I even gave God an extension. I give him another week. And something that happens. Somebody gets sick. You lose your job. And we think, well, <laughs> I don't know if I can trust this God. But, but the ancients, these people, they would look at your prayers and say, seriously? We lived li a lifetime, generation after generation after generation, trusting that God would do what he said he was going to do, and we never saw it come to pass. Yet we lived by faith up until the point of our death didn't make us waver. It didn't make us doubt. But here we are in our culture. God, I gave you some time. Where are you? Clearly, I can't trust you. This God doesn't have my best interest in mind. Yet their entire life they trusted. And they never saw. The writer goes on. Some of these people, <clears throat> they face jeers. These Old Testament characters, they face jeers and flogging, and, and we kind of brushed by that word because we think it's torture. I spent a lot of time last week explaining what flogging looked like. I'm not going to get into that detail again. Your kids can't handle it. You can't handle it. You're going to thank me later. But if you missed last week, you should go back and watch it or listen to it if you have to. There, there is so much detail in what that actually appears and what happens when we think of that word. If we just brush over it, some of them face cheers, jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. Okay, that sounds really bad. They were sawed in two. Okay, that's beginning to sound like a horror movie. They were killed by the sword. We think, okay, like, be done already. He's not done. He keeps going. They were about, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute. They had absolutely nothing. Everything would have been taken away from them. They were persecuted. They were mistreated. And then it's almost as if the, the writer of Hebrews pauses for a moment. And this is just how I, maybe I imagine. I'm visualizing. I think of things in movies. It's almost like he pauses for a moment and he thinks before he writes the next line. And he kind of looks back over, over the story of the ancients, right? There's, there's Moses and, and Moses' mom and, and, and Abraham and all these incredible characters. And it's almost like he's wondering, what if they had given up? What if they lost faith? 
What if Moses' mom decided, I, 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 can't, I can't risk my life to save my boy? What if Moses decided, I can't go back there. I killed somebody. They'll, they'll persecute me. What if Abraham never trusted God? You see, the writer of Hebrews is on the other side of the promise. God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And Abraham lived his life, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and the, the nation of Israel, and Moses, and they never saw it come to pass. But it was fulfilled in Jesus. And the author of the Hebrews is on the other side of the promise, and he's looking back, and he says, but I can see it all. I can see the promise to Abraham. I can see how, how generation after generation, they had to keep moving it all the way up until Jesus. I saw the promise fulfilled. What if, what if they never made it? What if they gave up their faith? These people who endured so much and were mistreated. And then he makes this amazing line that I absolutely love. One of the best lines in the entire New Testament. He says this, the world was not worthy of them. The world wasn't worthy of those people. See, once upon a time, our version of Christianity, once upon, once upon a time, faithfully believing in God inspired heroic living. Once upon a time, our version of Christianity it inspired people to kind of stop and stare. Once upon a time, our version of Christianity w was so inspiring, people would just, would just sit and wonder, like, like who are these people? Uh, they would even say, I'm not sure I believe like they believe. I'm not sure I can get into the whole weekend stuff they do. Like, I, I don't know that I buy all that, but, but there is something about them. There is something that sets them apart. There is something that makes them so unique. I may not believe like they believe, but I am so thankful they're around. Once upon a time, people were excited when Christians showed up. Finally, the Christians are here. Finally, and now look at all the hope. Look at the restoration they bring. Once upon a time, our version of Christianity was awe-inspiring. Why not now? You see, they were all commended, the writer went on to say. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. And then here's where it begins to turn to us. And, and not, not us like the, the audience reading this, who the author was writing to, but all of us sitting here this morning, viewing online. So don't, pay, don't miss this part. He says, since God, since God planned for something better for us, that's us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Or in other words, God had a plan, and his plan was huge. And his plan was redemption for the world, and, and, and no one people or one group of people could see it. They all had, had a part to play in this incredible plan that God had for, for us, for all of us. And it had to play out so that the plan could be fulfilled, so that Jesus could come. You see, th th this, this group of people, this ancient group of people in the Old Testament, they, did, they weren't sure of what was coming. They couldn't see what was to come. Yet they were looking forward, and they were faithful. They had a promise, and they believed God was going to fulfill the promise, and they were faithful, and they died, and they never saw the promise fulfilled. That's amazing. And then here we are in the first century with all of this information, with the benefit of being on the other side of the promise and looking back. We have, we have all of it. Here we are on the other side of this. <clears throat> you can go to the next one for me. And we're looking back, and we're fearful. We have the promise. 
we can look back and we can see that God fulfilled everything he promised throughout the Old Testament to Abraham, that it was fulfilled in Jesus and, and what Jesus promised and how that work carried. We can look back and we can see all of it, yet we're fear, fearful. And they look forward with no knowledge and, and, and just on, on a promise and no fulfillment. And they were faithful. What happened? What went wrong? The writer continues, therefore, because of all of this, because of, because of the promise that God made and, and, and the plan that God had and that God fulfilled all this and all of these people are a testament to that, that they lived faithfully even though they never saw the promise. Therefore, because of all of these things, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and when he's writing this to the first century audience, they're thinking of the, the ancients, right? The Old Testament heroes. They're surrounded by Moses, and they're surrounded by Moses' mom, and Abraham, and Ruth, and Isaac, and David, and all of these, these heroes of the faith. He's saying that's their cloud of witnesses. But for us, we have a greater cloud of witnesses. We have, we have that cloud, but we also have the apostles, and we have Peter, and we have James and John, and we have Paul, and we have men who, who, who gave their lives and were, were persecuted. We have men who, who did everything they could to see the church start. They traveled around the Mediterranean Rim. They faced fear in the, in, in the face. They, they stared down death, and they kept going. And, and not just the first and second century Christians. We have 15th and 16th century Christians who, who gave their lives, understand this, so that you would have a Bible. They literally gave their lives to translate the Bible into European languages like English, and they were burned at the stake. And we take it all for granted. We have a thousand translations on this little tablet. But we're here because of their faith. This is our cloud of witnesses. It's huge. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, and, and then he's going to go into this, this kind of breakdown of what we should be. So, so since all of this is surrounding us, let us hide, whine, complain, hoard our resources just in case, put our Bibles in a drawer and build a bomb shelter, purchase ammunition, blame the cops, <coughs> blame the, you go to the next one. I forget what I said there. <laughs> blame the teachers, blame your parents. Demand your rights, build a wall, tax the rich, play it safe, find somebody to sue, take back our country and pray that Jesus returns so that we don't ever have to suffer. Did I miss anyone? Because we can keep going. It's almost as if he's saying, your eyes are on the wrong thing. You're focused on the things that culture's worried about. But that's not you. That's not me. That's not anybody who said the prayer of salvation and decided to follow Jesus. So, so what's he saying here? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, anything that's holding you back, whether it's, it's your view of politics or, or how we're so concerned about security and safety and health or, or how we're, we're worried about our, our, the economic policies or foreign policy, whatever it is that's hindering you, he says, throw it off and the sin that so easily entangles us and wraps us up. Cast it to the side and let us run. And I love this. I love how he said this. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. I love that, that, just that, that, that whole phrase, let us run with perseverance. Guys, it's a race. And racers, runners, they need endurance. 
They need perseverance to keep going. And when things get tough, they find a way to push through and they keep going. Run your race that way. When things get hard, don't give up. Don't bail. Don't say, it's too much. Woe is me. I can't handle it. I prayed on Monday and I didn't get an answer on Thursday. My life's falling apart. No, he said, let us run with perseverance. The race, the path, the road, the time set before you. And then he said, how do we do all this? By fixing our eyes. And you could fill in that bottom line, couldn't you? If you grew up in church, you could probably fill it in. But before you do, let me throw this. What have we fixed our eyes on? Culture? POTUS? Economic policy? Safety? Security? What's become the center of our attention? He said, listen, all of you people who follow Jesus, he has a plan. God has a plan. And if you want to fulfill the plan that God has for you, you've got to fix your eyes on something different than you or your worry or your fear or your security. You, you can do that. You, you, can, you can try to run that. You can try to follow Jesus and, 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 and be consumed or have your eyes focused or centered on something other than what he's about to tell us. But you will never fulfill the plan that he's fast for you. You will stumble and you will fall and you will trip up. But if you want to complete what God has for you, he says, run that race marked out for us, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, the epicenter of our faith. Jesus, the man who started it all. Jesus, the man who faced death on your behalf and mine. What if just for a moment, what if our response to what we see in culture and in the political realm and, and, and in our world, what, what if for a moment we just stopped for a moment and, and asked ourselves these three questions? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? And how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do with, with what's happening in our world politically? What would he say to the people on social media that we engage with day after day? How would Jesus respond to the people who are attacking? Well, can you imagine if just for a moment, if every Christian, if every Christ follower, everyone who said the prayer of salvation, if for 24 hours we said, don't ask a lot of me, for the next 24 hours, I'm going to do only this. I'm going to do what I think Jesus would do. I'm going to say what I think Jesus would say, and I'm going to respond to the way Jesus would respond. Can you imagine if every Christ follower, in, in just in America, decided to do that? What would our world look like? You see, it's that that changed the world once. In Journey Church, it's that that will change the world again. We decide to live by faith and not by fear. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And who's Jesus? He's the pioneer. Some translations say the author, but I love this word pioneer. He, he, he initiated, he made this thing out of, out of nothing. He pioneered, he began, he started our faith. 
the pioneer and the perfecter or the finisher or the conclusion. He began it and he ended it. it. It's all him all the time. You hear us say sometimes it's all about Jesus because it is. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Th that's it. There's nothing else but him. And if that isn't challenging enough for us, the author of Hebrews keeps going. And I'm sure if you're feeling anything like me when you're reading through this, you just want to take a minute and sit down and say, come on, man, cut us a break. Like, you've already raised the bar so high, I don't know that I can keep going. But he keeps going. And he says, for the joy set before him, talking about Jesus. For the joy set before him. What was the joy? You. You sitting at home. Me. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And when we think of cross, it's a piece of jewelry, and it's nice, and it's shiny. And when Jesus thinks of the cross, it was something completely different. He grew up in the first century. Most assuredly, he smelled a crucifixion. He heard the moans and the cries and the wails and the agony of those being persecuted. He knew what it was like to walk by and to see a man hanging in shame, to see a man hanging in pain for days and days and days. He, he had experienced all of this. So knowing the crosses before him, knowing the pain that he would encounter, knowing the shame that he would encounter, he joyfully walked that road for you and for me. And here's a phrase we don't think about often, but, but he, he scorned or he despised its shame. Because the cross wasn't just about pain. We talked about this last week. The cross wasn't just about death. It was about shame. How much shame could I bring to a person, to a human being, before their breath escapes their lungs? And he scorned its shame. He despised what it would bring. For you and for me, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And do you know what he offered his disciples? Do you know what he asked his disciples? Do you know what he asks you and what he asks me? Follow me. <laughs> Seriously, Jesus? Yeah, yeah. You see this? Follow me. For the joy set before you. Follow me. That's a big ask. The author continues, consider him, focus on him, fix your eyes on him, him who endured. He endured such opposition from sinners. Up until the very end, they opposed him and they rebuked him so that you, get this, this is what we're, the whole like purpose of all of this, so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. He endured it all. He faced death in the face. He walked to his own death so that you would have the confidence, so that you would be fearless, so that you would not grow weary and not lose heart. And here's the truth that so many of us don't want to hear. Some of us have grown weary. Some of us are beginning to lose heart. Things didn't go the way we thought they would in the election. The economy's not going the way I want it to go. It was great last year, but this year it's, you know, it's not turning out so well. I thought COVID and the pandemic would be over. And we're growing weary and we're losing heart. And, and, and you don't want to hear this, but you need to hear this. And, and maybe the best way to hear it from is for me because I, I have a microphone and you have to listen. Stop it. Knock it off. Because you're scaring the children. You are. It sounds funny, but nothing could be more true. 
Do you know where our kids, where the next generation are going to look to for their counsel? You and me. They're taking their cues from us. And do you know what we're communicating when we look at what's happening in the world and in our culture and we get, we get so overwhelmed that, that we begin to grow weary and lose heart? Do you know what we're saying? You know what the most important thing in the world is? Who the President of the United States is. You know what the most important thing in the world is? That everything's going to fall apart unless we get the right president. Everything's going to fall apart unless the right economic bills are passed. Everything's going to fall apart unless everyone reacts to COVID the way I react to COVID. Everything's going to fall apart. And nothing could be further from the truth. Policies matter. Economics matter. How we treat and react to COVID absolutely matters. But none of that is the center and the fixation of our eyes. Our eyes are on the wrong thing. Our eyes are to be on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of faith, who did all of this so we wouldn't grow weary and lose heart. Yet we say a prayer and it doesn't happen, so I can't trust God. And I just, I think often about people who, who, like, who would hear these prayers, who, who don't have the benefit of living in America and what Christian, Christianity in America looks like. People in, in Somalia and people in, in Iraq and people in Nigeria. More people are, are killed in Nigeria for their faith than anywhere else in the world. And they would hear our prayers. God, help, you know, help me find my keys. Help my wife find her keys so she can get to her appointment on time and help my kids get into the right school and, and help me get, you know, get an A on this test. And you can pray about anything. God said so. But I think Jesus, our sometimes hearing our prayers, is like, is that it? Do you know what I went through? Do you know what people have went through to bring you this message? That's it? I wonder what, what, what some of the persecuted Christians, some of our brothers and sisters in, in, in Nigeria would think when they hear our prayers. And, and for them, here's their prayer. They're scared to death about what's happening to their daughters. They have no idea. They're in internment camps. They're in refugee camps. And they're just praying every night. They get on their knees and they pray and they plead and they beg for mercy from God that, that they would protect their daughters and, and, and somehow give them the strength to carry on. But our prayers are, you know, God, I need that new iPad. That's embarrassing. And I think Jesus hears this sometimes and he says, Guys, there is so much more. You've limited your prayers. You've limited your eyes. They're on the wrong thing. I need a group. I need a, 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 a remnant of men and women who are going to live by faith. Who are going to live as if God's going to fulfill his promise. That God made one and he's going to keep one. Even though you might not see it. Even though it might come after your life. There was a promise that was made and it will be fulfilled. Where are the men and women who live by faith? Who are willing to walk the road although they can't see the promise coming through? Whose faith is tougher than nails? The author of Hebrews isn't done. You thought I was done with that. No, he goes on one more. And he gives us what I think is the final blow. He says, if you struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin rather, You've not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. Like, really? Your faith hasn't cost you anything. To, to the audience living in America, you have religious freedom. You're here. 2,000 years after all of these events, after all of these activities, halfway around the world, you're here and, and we're following this Jewish carpenter and his teachings and, and, and we can express our faith and gather and still watch online. 
Really? The end of the world because of the president? I don't think so. The end of the world because we can't get our act together financially? No. Carry on. Where's your medal? See, I, I think what God wants is a group of men and women who are so willing to live by faith that, that at the end of it all, the outside, the, the people around us would look at us and they would they may not even agree with how we live. They may not even agree with, with our position on, on, on faith and politics and all that stuff. They may not agree, but they would look at us and they would say the world wasn't worthy of them. I don't know about you, but, but would you want to be a part of that generation? Of that generation of Christians who says, I'm not, I'm not going to scare my kids. I'm not going to breathe fear. I want them to know that the most important thing they can do is fix their eyes on Jesus. Because he'll sustain them through every economic crisis and, and political turmoil and whatever else, you know, viruses can throw at us. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He's the rock. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? I would. I want to be a part of that generation that says, God, I will follow. This can't, it, it's not going to turn me away. It's not going to scare me. It's not going to put me in the shell. It's not going to shut me up. I will follow because my Savior asked me to. And he endured everything up unto death for me. The world wasn't worthy of them. And if we would learn to live by faith, the world isn't worthy of you either. And that faith will change the world. What do you think of when you hear Christian? What should you think of when you hear Christian? I want to think of that. And I want my friends around me to think of that. And I want my family around me to think of that. And if we could live that way, God, we could change the world again. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for what is an incredible, incredible passage of Scripture. God, I, I don't know that I, I could do it justice. I don't know that it, that it needs any refinement or adornment, but God, it is so powerful and so meaningful and so, God, so convicting when we think about where we are in our lives and, and, and what we've allowed to become our focus. God, would you help us to learn from this morning? Would you give us the courage, God, to fix our eyes on you, to follow Jesus? Would you give us the wisdom to see the things that we've allowed in our lives to kind of crop up and become the center of our attention, the, the fixation of our gaze? Would you cause us to step back and say only Jesus sits there? Would you help us to follow? Would you give us the courage to carry on and to follow Jesus. God, to do as he would do, to say what he would say, and to respond as he would respond. I thank you for your son, Lord, our Savior. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.